Hi, welcome back to Deep Read. My guest today is Clem McCloy, founder and editor of the literary magazine Worms. Initially created as her final project while she was studying at Central St. Martins, Clem describes Worms as biannual literary star magazine that celebrates female and non-binary writer culture. Now on its fifth issue, Worms' current cover star is the literary scholar and the cultural historian Saidia Hartman, and the magazine has featured work by Chris Krauss, Natasha Stagg, Stephanie LaCarva and Fiona Allison Duncan, among others. More recently, Clem has moved into publishing with the first title under the Worms imprint, Nothing But My Body by Tilly Lawless, an eight-day journey through the mind of a young queer sex worker in Australia as she navigates breakups and infatuation. Clem and I had a highly enjoyable, slightly nerdy conversation about print culture, literary scenes past and present, and the future of books and reading. I hope you enjoy it. So hi Clem, thank you so much for making the time to do this. Hi Phoebe, thank you for having me. The day after your birthday, on which you launched your new Worms imprint first project, I believe. Yeah, nothing with Nothing But My Body by Tilly Lawless. Okay, yeah. we're going to come back to that, but okay. we're going to rewind a little bit. Um, so for anyone who might not be familiar with you, you are the founder of Worms magazine, um, which is uh, a magazine essentially for readers about, well, you tell me, how would you describe Worms to people who've never encountered it? So I always say that it is a literary magazine that accelerates female and non-binary voices, but I feel like it's, that was kind of my first ever bio of it. And now it's expanding into more things, you know, I've got Mm -hmm. t-shirts and books and doing more online content and just kind of it's turning into its own little world or worm farm, as I like to call it. <laughs> I love that. Um, tell me a bit about, just to rewind a bit, like tell me about your background in reading and like little Clem and what she, how she first kind of became a worm, I suppose. Yeah, little worm. Um, so I think, I mean, I've been asked this before and when I think about it, the reason that I got really into reading was because when I was a teenager, I was really anxious. Right. Um, and like I had friends and I went out and I did all of that, but I didn't, I was never one to kind of like go out and party loads. And I always liked to spend a lot of time by myself. And I remember this one time my dad just took me to the bookshop and was like, you can just buy whatever books you want. And I went home with like a huge stack of books and all my friends were going out that night. And I was like, actually, I just want to like stay at home and read my books because mm. to be honest, like, I prefer the worlds that are going on in the books. Mm. My like socially anxious self that goes out mm-hmm. feels a bit shit. Um, so I always found like a lot of comfort in reading. And I also, I don't know. Yeah, it was kind of, it was a way to deal with my anxiety, but also to make me realize, like to come out of my head a lot. Mm. Um, so that's kind of how I got into it. I mean, at school I was, I was into English, but I wasn't like top of the class or anything like that. I wasn't like really into the text that we were studying and I wasn't really into the structure of the sentence or anything like that. I was more into the kind of transformative power of the novel, Mm. which is something that I did kind of in my own time. You you, you grew up in, are you Australian? Yeah, Sydney. Okay, Okay. so you grew up in Sydney and then you, you came to London to study, is that right? Yeah, so I came to London. Um, I 
you know what? I actually don't remember ever making the decision go to go to St. Martin's and I don't know how I discovered or anything like that. I can't remember. Yeah. But I applied and got in to study fashion journalism. So kind of like a few months after I finished school, I just came over here, did a foundation at St. Martin's and then did my course. Yeah. Mm. So what was your, sorry, what was your, it was a fashion journalism degree or? Yeah, fashion journalism. Because I always, I always wanted to write um, and I didn't want to do, I wanted to do some kind of journalistic writing, but I didn't see myself as like a news reporter um, mm. or didn't really think of myself as like a novelist. So I didn't want right. to study English and I didn't want to study traditional journalism. And I was always into like, you know, art and fashion and the kind of more creative subjects so yeah I guess I just tied them all together and fashion journalism was where I came out I always wanted to work with magazines as well so that means yeah I think it's so interesting like I mean I think you're a little bit younger than me but I was just thinking yesterday about how like the world of the magazine which for me as well was like the first you know how I really I loved books as well but like magazines were the were the worlds that I kind of immersed myself in from a young age yeah and it's mad to think that like younger people now aren't gonna have that experience oh my God, it's crazy and I think about all the kind of really I don't know what the equivalent would be here but we had these like really trashy teenage magazines we had mm. and girlfriend and I just remember being really young and we used to go um my dad's like a kind of farmer of sorts and we used to go up to the farm every weekend and I used to go to the like local news agent in Yass which was the name of the town and <laughs> just get like Dolly and Girlfriend to take without all the pages and be like I'm gonna get like bright red tights and just make my own little world out of the magazine pages and like yeah how do, do, do kids just save stuff on Instagram now is that how is that the equivalent I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like a whole sort of like visceral experience that I suppose they're not having. Um, And for me was so, I don't know, just like addictive and like inspiring and engaging. And like, yeah, when I was young, like getting a new magazine was like, uh, like the biggest thrill of the week. Yeah, and the pages and the pictures and kind of cutting it all out and then like, is that just the Instagram grid? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, you're making a magazine, so we're not to fast forward too much. But yeah. I suppose because I, I read that you you started Worms as like your it was like your final degree project. Is that right? Yeah. And wh- how? Why? Why did a sort of literary magazine make sense to you as the outcome of a fashion journalism degree? To be honest, like I think it made sense to me, and it didn't make sense to very many others. Yeah. Yeah, so Judith Watt was my tutor. She was really into reading books, literature. She also, she actually wrote this book called Fashion Writing, which was all these kind of classic books and texts and how they wrote about clothing. Mm -hmm. And so she always fully understood my love for books. And I remember, I think it was, I can't remember like specifically how it happened, but I was really into Kathy Acker. And mm. like, well, Kathy Acker had such a big um, kind of like stylistic impact and she was very, mm. into, you know, she had such a big impact on like the fashion world, but also she did a lot of fashion journalism and her whole image as a writer had like a lot of significance in the fashion world and 
to brands and you know she existed in that world so the idea was to kind of make a publication around these kinds of figures and Mm. I mean to the Tudors I think that it probably didn't have enough fashion material in it Mm -hmm. to me it was much more important to create something that I loved and to create something that made sense to me than to create something that I didn't care about, which Mm. is more just kind of, I mean, obviously I cared about fashion and I cared about fashion writing and the things that I was learning about, but it made more sense for me to do a literary magazine than it did to do a traditional fashion magazine. Mm. It's interesting that like Kathy Acker was the figure that you, I think on your website says something like that you had a mad spiraling obsession with her. I I mean, I'm familiar with Kathy Acker, but I wouldn't say I've read her entire of um but I feel like those kind of like downtown New York figures um I just read uh Cookie Mueller um read it yeah I just I just I mean it's mental like (laughs) and then yesterday I read I had the little essay of um Kathy Acker's New York City in 1979 so I just reread that and it's interesting to think about how those sort of like downtown New York writers, I feel like are having like some sort of renaissance, maybe because they're sort of, they were the last like truly like avant-garde radical figures in a sort of Western context Mm -hmm. before everything just sort of become bit like sort of just got flattened. That's how it feels to me anyway. Definitely. And the interesting thing about those writers is that, they existed in this very kind of like trendy, glamorous art world. Yeah. They were writing fiction and novels and, you know, we see so much of this today and I feel like there is more of a merging of the kind of like fashion and art worlds with literature, which reflects that time a lot. Like I think yeah. a lot of, I mean, fashion as well as like looking to literature a lot for references and inspiration. Yeah that will make sense but perhaps that like when I look around sort of you know the I guess London scene I've also lived in New York maybe New York less so I feel like New York still maintains a very strong literary identity um like writers and publishing and magazines still feel like such a big part of that like cultural ecosystem there but here I feel like it's the culture has become much more visual and I don't feel like I know that many writers um, in London anymore. That's you know, especially any writers who are writing like fucking batshit mental stuff like they were. It's really interesting you say that actually, because I remember that first issue that I did and I was really, I wasn't annoyed, but I was kind of like, oh, it's a shame that so many of the writers that I was focusing on in that issue were from the States. And I was like, yeah. it must be community of writers like there is over there which are these kind of a lot of them have come from fashion journalism they've come from working in fashion and then they've gone on to write these kind of like social commentary texts that tie in fashion journalism with fiction and auto fiction Mm. I feel like one of my main aims with the magazine when I started out was to establish that over here Mm. and I feel like these writers are kind of coming out of the woodworks that I would never have known existed. Right. And this community is kind of, especially around the ICA, like there are so many amazing people working with text, like artists and spoken word artists, performance artists. And 
there's so many of them that are coming out of the woodworks that I wouldn't have realized before. And I feel like that's something that I've come by as a result of the magazine. And I feel like there is a much stronger literary community here than I ever would have thought there was. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I say all that, I, it's not to say that I'm like equivocally saying it doesn't exist. But as you say, I'm I'm not super. <clears throat> I mean, I didn't live in London for nearly nine years. Um, so, you know, I'm probably less familiar than I would be with it otherwise. Um, and certainly the ICA is like such an amazing hub. They've got such a great bookshop. They've always done such amazing um, programming. But it, yeah, I guess in New York, it always felt much more at the forefront yeah. Um, and partly that's because there's more money for writers in New York. You know, I think, I mean, I started my working life as a cultural journalist of sorts. And one of the reasons I ditched it pretty quickly is because in the UK it paid like nothing. Whereas if you get good as a writer in the States and you start working for like, you know, Condé Nast publications, stuff like that. I'm not saying it's like billions, but yeah. you can you can make a living actually being a writer if you're a good one whereas here I feel like unless you're on staff freelance writing is like near on impossible financially yeah definitely um so so you started Worms as your sort of graduate project and then and then just obviously decided to continue it um like how did it evolve from there it was like so organic it's really funny I was talking to my friends last night about how um I did this kind of panel discussion at LCC recently and I was on the bus on the way there with my friend Steph who also who makes books she's an artist who makes books and the talk was about how to get into self-publishing and we were both sitting on the bus and we were like we actually don't know how to get into self-publishing it all just it was so organic and so natural the way that both came into it it was just kind of I mean to be honest like I, I printed like 50 copies of the first issue yeah and I was just like, yeah, I mean, hopefully I'll be able to get rid of them because otherwise we're going to have 50 copies yeah. of the final project. Yeah. And they sold out at the, um, what do you call it, like the private view for uni, mm-hmm. uni at the final show. And then it got picked up by a distributor. And I think the fact that, I mean, the Kathy Acker exhibition was on at the ICA at the time. Kathy Acker's mm-hmm. on the cover. And I feel like there's a, you know, she has her acolytes so I feel like that was hugely helpful for me for that first issue. Mm-hmm. It got picked up by a distributor and then I printed, I did it possibly the worst way economically, which was I then printed another 150 or maybe I even printed another 75 and then they sold out and then I printed another 75. Yeah, yeah. And the total print run of the first issue was like 150 or so. Mm-hmm. Um and I kind of thought, like, oh, I'll put that to bed. Like, that was my final project. I'll yeah. continue the Instagram or whatever. And then it's funny, I actually met Tilly Lawless. And I was like, I have to do something with her. Mm-hmm. And I just, like, did another issue. Yeah. And I emailed the distributor. I was like, you know, if I do another issue, will you take it? And they were like, yeah, sure. Um, like, we'd love to. And emailed the stockists, and they were all keen to take some. So... I did the next issue and then that kind of sold. I think I printed probably like 500 of that one and then that sold out. And then it really just very naturally continued. Right. And even the other night I was like, oh my God, I like, I didn't realize that I've done five issues. Like it's just all happened. 
yeah very naturally well I suppose it's been led in a different way I mean self-publishing I've liked self-published projects before and this sounds so naive to say it now because I'm very like immersed in the world of like art book publishing and publishing as an art practice and very like interested in it engaged with it and always seeking it out but I didn't realize that like books were an art form for a really long time that people were making books as art rather than you know finding ways to translate their art into books yeah or and when I say books I mean any sort of printed matter like that sounds so yeah I'm a bit embarrassed to admit it because it took me a minute to be like oh wait like <laughs> so many people there's a whole world of people out there who like making printed projects yeah. no so many people would um think the same way that you have thought you know it's 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 interesting also because I remember I sent my first issue to Chris Krause because I actually interviewed her for the first issue and she wrote this email back which is now like stuck on my studio wall and it was like oh you know worms is like an artwork and I was like oh my god I've never thought of it like that before but it really is just an extension of myself and in that yeah. it really is just kind of my art form and it's just all the writers that I like it's all the things that I like and all my interests kind of in one little vessel that comes out twice a year <laughs> yeah but I guess it's because we've been so you know we've been brought up with books as these sort of I don't know, like we're we're so used to this one interpretation of what a book is and what purpose it serves that to sort of like reframe it in an art context, unless you have, you know, either stumbled across or somehow been introduced to the idea of like art books. Mm. Um, and again, by which I don't mean books about art, I mean books as art yeah. or print, printed projects as art. Like, how would you know? Because it's an, a known object to you. and it's like a conceptual reframing of what it what purpose it serves right yeah and like unless you've I didn't I did a humanities degree so what like that that idea of a book as an object just didn't even cross my path you know and again it was only when I started self-publishing books and going to these like independent bookstores and now obviously I run like a library with a, a small bookstore component like that I became aware of it as part of this bigger um project yeah uh, by artists around the world to like find ways as you say to create like a sort of space for your interpretation of like definitely and I really like that um phrase you use this kind of conceptual reframing and that is really what I feel like I've been trying to do with worms it's kind of taking books and literature off of this kind of pedestal of being only for the kind of elite educated, Mm. you know, Oxford educated person who has to dissect a text or anything like that. You know, for me, it's always been about just reading what you want to read, reading what feels right, what resonates. And I think that for a very long time, we've kind of thought of literature as this like scary, highbrow cultural thing, but actually it books should really be for everyone and they should be like you know more accessible like art is meant to be Mm -hmm. yeah I mean it's we're I feel like we're in an interesting place now with like books and literature because obviously on one level books are like with the internet we see books on the internet now right like they've they've taken on this new life 
you know, I'm sure both of us in in what we're doing are very conscious of the fact that books are sort of like trending, yeah. that people are are like like to be, um, you know, they like to be seen as people who buy books, who are interested in what books discuss. And again, I by that when books I say books, I mean books of all kind, from like a magazine like yours to a classic text or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so in one way, it feels like the ideas in literature, in literature are more accessible than ever. But in another way, I guess there's still this sort of uh, intellectual elitism mm-hmm. that is in, you know, like I'm I'm in a different way, creating a different kind of space. I, I think I'm trying to do a similar thing to you, which is to make those ideas accessible to people. Mm-hmm. by in in part by making them aesthetically appealing right mm-hmm. like your magazine looks really cool <laughs> and so there's people who are going to pick it up even if they don't know who Kathy Acker is or who Eileen Mars is or who Chris Krause is and be like well I like the way this looks yeah so yeah. I'm going to buy it and have it in my living room and then maybe I'll look at it yeah sure. and then I guess all those like again I'm, and maybe it's just the headspace I'm in right now because the kind of stuff I'm reading but like I'm so interested in all those like downtown New York women writers mm. Um, you know some women like all, all and the how their ideas are sort of like resurfacing mm-hmm. um, I feel like part that's partly because obviously they were sort of like exploring like identity politics and mm-hmm. and identity issues very early on in a very radical way in a, in a way that's now in some ways become mainstream but like kind of co-opted by the mainstream right yeah. Like you do hear a lot more voices, quote unquote, now, but they're, I don't know, like it, it feels like they're sort of like, you know, you're reading it through like BuzzFeed or something. Yeah, and yeah. So like accessing those ideas again. Sorry, I'm sort of rambling now, but um, do you see, you know what I'm saying about like, because well, a... I feel like, um, especially, I don't know, I for me personally, I'm seeing a lot more of this kind of, like um, auto theory work, which is kind of, you know, writing through the body and writing through experience. And I think that that's possibly the reason that these kinds of writers are resurfacing again, because that's what they did. They didn't have these traditional um, educations or traditional roots into literature. They've all come from art. They've all come from, you know, hanging out with the right circles of artists and being part of the scene and just writing through that rather than, Mm kind of um constraints or rules about how you should write they've all looked at Kathy Acker and been like okay you know she started by sending books out to a friend's list of artists like a a Mm -hmm. mailing list of artists and that's how Mm. she's come about it and it's all been very kind of bodily and very intuitive rather than kind of sticking to any kind of rules Mm -hmm. yeah I suppose also they were writing in a different era when they weren't necessarily trying to get a massive book deal or Mm. you know when writing still was more like I feel like now if you write in any way if you're not sort of like signed to a big five publishing house and and pushing your work through those channels it's kind of like well you're a bit of a flop really you know (laughs) it's really funny as well because um there's obviously still those kinds of traditional publishing houses that exist. And I was talking to Tilly the other day because when I started um, 
when I was going out to publish her book, I had a few meetings with people that, you know, I just organized meetings with people that worked at these publishing houses because I wanted to mm-hmm. know how it works. And just even listening to the way that they approached it was so, like, it went so against how I kind of wanted to get into it all and the route that I wanted to take. And it was like, you know, you have to sign it up for this website and this website so that it could be reviewed by this person and this person and, you know, use these words because it'll appeal to more people and all this. And I was like, no, I actually don't want to do any of that. I just want my Worms readers to read it because they are more intuitive. They don't know what is, you know, I mean, I'm sure a lot of them, most of them do know what good literature is, but it's not a necessity to know what good literature is be able to pick up a book that I the kinds of books that I want to publish and to enjoy it Mm. like not to have any preconceived ideas about what a book should be but being able to just like pick up a book and being able to read it and enjoy it and relate to it or feel what the writer is trying to say and that that's probably the most important thing for me yeah I think that books publishing literature is like in a way sort of like the last like bastion of like sort of gatekeeping <laughs> in this in like or, or like gatekeeping as an aspirant again like I feel I mean don't get me wrong like I I've pub- I've self-published and I've published a book through a publisher albeit like a pretty small deal and part of me is like oh I should be trying to get back in the big publishing game because it's really that's how you make money and and obviously they've got um infrastructure for distribution and promotion that as an individual is very difficult but then equally having done that route and again I did it on a small deal but I was like well I ended up doing all the promotion anyway myself yeah and actually probably have made just as much money self-publishing books you know and and doing it with complete creative autonomy which going back to the idea of books as art objects like if you give a shit about a book yeah in and of itself as well as the content which I do and you obviously do yeah having to like have some you know quote unquote like creative director a publishing house tell you how it should look yeah is like agonizing <laughs> yeah because sure. you're like you're wrong <laughs> yeah exactly it's funny I was talking to this person yesterday as well because um I work in Donlon Books and this lady came in we just kind of started talking about publishing and she's an artist and she was saying that she was having these fights with the person that was producing the book that she's working on at the moment because they wanted to cut costs on the paper Mm -hmm. she was like you know I know that we're not going to make as much money if we use the nice paper but to me as an artist it's obviously so important that we use the right paper and get the right feel Mm -hmm. to know that I've created something that has that you know, what I wanted people to feel when they pick it up is so much more fulfilling creatively than a big fat check at the end of the month. Yeah, 100%. And it, it, it it's exactly the artistry at the foundation of it is is so important. And, and I, I wonder, like, you know, sometimes I'm like, I wonder what the end, what is, what is this? Like, books are really, again, books are trending right now. Yeah. I feel like there's this huge... Um, people are really intrigued by books again, books that are really selling again, uh, like big, big publishing houses are selling a lot of books. Yeah. What do you think, like, what do you attribute that to? Pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> but like what? Books. People wanting to get away from a screen and being yeah. like actually be transported somewhere without having to look at something digital. Yeah. Wanting to like slow their 
brains down as well. Yeah. I think that's... It's funny, isn't it? Like, I feel like books have now become, like, they're books, but they're also things that, like, tools that are, you can use to, like, counteract screen time. 100%. Like, literally, that's what they, yeah. they're like, this. they have this new purpose now where it's like, yeah. this is one of the few things I can do to entertain myself. Yeah. Like, that don't require me looking at a screen. Also calm you down, which is something that I feel people are realising is so much more important these days than it has been. I mean, it's obviously always been important, but people are realising now how important that is to spend time away from the screen. Yeah. So you spend a lot of time reading? I try to. I definitely, it's funny because since doing Worms, I think I've definitely like read less. I mean, I'm obviously still reading loads and more than the average person, but I was just devouring books before, like, especially during uni, just on the tube, walking to everywhere, just always had a book on me. Mm. But um, yeah, it's, I, I have to kind of like, I, I still read every day and I still read before bed every night, but I have to kind of make sure to kind of schedule in blocks of time over the weekend to be in the park reading or just like be outside reading. Yeah, same. I think people think that I just read constantly and I'm like, no. People think that when you work in a bookshop, you sit behind the desk and read the whole time and it's like, I've never been able to pick up my book. No, no. <laughs> and like, I love books, but I don't, I don't have time. And also like everyone, my attention span is fucked. So yeah. I have to like really concentrate on, you know, I mean, obviously there's books that sort of trans, like are super immersive, but reading can be an effort for me like you I would say probably yeah of course I read more than that quote-unquote average person and yeah. you know I feel like I don't read that much because I'm not reading for like five hours a day yeah. but um even just to read every day is a is a big thing what can you tell me about some books you've read recently that sort of like have had an impact on you I'll actually go back on that because I use this app called Goodreads do you know about Goodreads uh, yeah yeah yeah, I, yeah I've never used it though I'm obsessed with Goodreads really oh my god obsessed it's basically like I, I, I use it more than Instagram because you can follow all your friends and see what they're reading and you put all the books that you want to read in and then you can see what the books are that your friends want to read and all of that. But I've uh-huh. had years. And you do this thing where you put in how many books you want to read in a year. and Ooh, then, yeah, and gamify then, it. Yeah, and then it tells you if you're on track or like if, okay. how many books ahead or behind schedule you are. And at the end of last year, I checked it was like it had all these stats from the year and it was like how many books the average good reader reads in a year and I was like oh my god I'm gonna be like so high up there and the average amount is 52 books a year yeah and I was like that's so annoying because I read like 40 books last year and I thought that that was really good and then I'm I know it's but I think maybe there's something to like professionalizing a passion that does unfortunately for sure (laughs) <laughs> like kill it a little bit in your life, in your personal life yeah um can you I know it's always annoying when people say what books have you read that have impacted you recently but have there been any books you've read that sort of like have shifted anything for you the the best book I've read recently I mean it's not that recently but the one that always comes to the front of my head was one that I read at Christmas which was um auto theory as feminist practice wait auto theory as feminist practice in art, writing, and criticism by Lauren's <laughs> mouthful. Such a hard title, but it's basically all about auto theory and um, all these different 
female writers, not necessarily female, non-binary as well, um, writers and artists that use traditional theory and kind of philosophy combined with their bodily experiences and experiences of being humans and write from that perspective. So kind of taking, that was such a bad explanation, but taking like theory Mm. and inserting themselves in it and writing through that rather than looking at it from the white male perspective, which a lot of theory is written from. Right. Yeah. I feel like that's that kind of, um, but like there's been a big, I don't say big, it's niche, it's niche, but like the appetite for that kind of pairing of like critical theory, a person, you know, identity writing, um, is is such a big field of interest right now and and not to keep banging on about it but when you think about those writers and like sort of part of the new york world uh, semiotics and all, you know those kind of writers that was i guess what they were doing was like always fusing this like high level intellectual co- critical theory with personal yeah. experience like downtown culture yeah. and that to me is always like quite a compelling combination sure and it's my favorite kind of writing as well it's, I mean it's Chris Krauss for for people who are not familiar with yeah can you can you explain a bit about Chris Krauss okay so Chris Krauss is I mean she's very polarizing I've kind of recommended I love dick to a lot of people and they've been like mm-hmm. get it yeah she is kind of the perfect example of someone that came into writing via an non-traditional route because she was actually a filmmaker and no one liked her films right and she wrote this book her first book is called I Love Dick and it was a series of kind of obsessional love letters to a cultural critic who is based on a real person yeah the guy who wrote the uh subculture book yeah Dick Hebdige yeah and um she basically wrote this like series of obsessional love letters to him after having um, like dinner with him and her husband, Sylvain Lotringer. I don't know if they were married at the time, her partner anyway, and turned it into a book. And it's just so great because it's so kind of, I don't want to say, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say it's so kind of, um, self-debasing and (laughs) he's just manages to tie in all these like cultural references these the kind of a lot of French theory French American theory because that was what Silver and Dick were kind of into and she kind of comments on the fact that women are left out of this conversation and you know men and in particular these kind of French American theories like John Baudrillard are so kind of exist on this one plane and incorporate this whole world of theory and leave out so many voices in particular, Mm. female, non-binary, people of color, um, any kind of minority groups. Mm. And the book is just hilarious and poignant and amazing. And I love it. But a lot of people think that it's a bit pretentious. 
Yeah, I mean, disclaimer, I've never read it, which I know is like blasphemy. I know, and so many friends have read it and loved it. And some, be- and then I've like read reviews of it and people are like, this is, like you say, pretentious bullshit. So exactly. it, I mean, I'm kind of always intrigued by anything that's that polarising, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'll always like investigate something if, if it gets like those kind of extremes. Um, but You must I- read it. It's so good. I'm just okay. like, I love it. But I'm obsessed I, with it. I'm obsessed with it. And then she wrote, um, so her main ones, are, she's written loads of books, but her main ones are I Love Dick, Aliens and Anorexia, Torpor, and Summer of Hate. And mm. I've read Summer of Hate twice because I think it's so great. Mm. Um, but she's, the thing that makes her work so great is that she's, she kind of takes these issues and... So, for example, like with Summer of Hate, it's about someone who is on parole who meets Kat, who's the main character, who is Chris. It's always written from her personal experience. Yeah. Um, So she's basically, Kat meets this guy, Paul, who's on parole. Um, He's kind of, you know, failing everything. No one wants to give him a job because he's an ex-con, like all of this stuff. And she gives him a job she falls in love with him it becomes this whole thing and then turns out that the state are kind of looking out for him because he i can't remember if it's like drunk driving or if he hits someone in his car or something but she manages to write this incredible narrative which is kind of a love story but then also tie in all these issues around kind of like incarceration in the u.s issues around you know parole and also like the housing crisis she's Mm -hmm. and she's like so switched on and she's got all these different issues coming in but it's so digestible because she writes it from this very like non-literary place Mm. and it's just a good read they're writers sort of like i mean obviously i'm sure that chris cross is still writing but is there anyone are there any sort of writers or is there any like school of writers or community that you've encountered through making the magazine or that you're sort of intrigued by and think that maybe are like a, a kind of new, like 2.0 of that generation of writer? Yeah, definitely. So um, basically Chris, Sylvia Lottringer, who was um, Chris's partner who passed away last year, he started Semiotex, which is the publishing house that publishes all of Chris's books. And now Chris and someone called Hedy Elcotti run Semiotex. Yeah. And so they're now basically publishing mini Chris's. So right. people like Natasha Stagg, Stephanie LaCarva, Fiona Duncan. Um, there's this great South American writer called Cecilia Pavon. And it's really interesting because you can see so clearly the influence that Chris has had on these young writers and they're kind of the perfect kind of trickling down of, Mm. you know, they're writing about things like social media that is obviously not as engaged with. So yeah, I would say that they're probably the, next gen of Chris Krause's Chris Krause Eileen Miles yeah there's definitely that there's sort of like always like um 
a sort of yeah like a little mini sort of scene or subgenre of writers who always like I'd say on a sort of like much more mainstream element you have someone like Gia Tolentino who mm-hmm. writers who really manage to sort of like dial into the zeitgeist obviously when you're looking at the kind of writers that Semiotics publishes it's in a bit more of a kind of I don't want to say bleak <laughs> But like how, how would you just it's hard to crystallize that style of writing but it is super like you know like that kind of red scare tone of like yeah. very smart but sort of like slightly bleak dystopian yeah um accounts of contemporary culture definitely definitely it's re- it's funny do you know much about um do you know Fiona Duncan I don't know I'm not very familiar with her no she was really great when I first started Worms because she was kind of huge inspiration behind the whole literary community and creating some kind of literary community in London because she started this thing called um she calls it a literary social practice and it's called hard mm. to read and hard to read hard to read and it's yeah this like very stylish reading group or like events of like readings and you know, everyone comes looking amazing, dressed up, and all these mm. New York writers. And she does shows in LA, and she's just based. And then there's another one called Pillow Talk, where she invites people to come, and they all seem to be always kind of in dressing gowns, talking about like sex writing. Mm. But she's like a really good example of someone that has um, introduced literature into this kind of trendy downtown New York scene, like you were saying. I mean, not. Yeah but maybe reintroduced and kind of highlighted those um, those like old school writers. But also the reason I was thinking of her is because she wrote her first book was called Exquisite Mariposa and Chris Krauss published it but also edited it. Right. And she said that Chris was uh, like a massive help to her as well. Yeah, it's, I guess, I mean, on one level I'm like, I like the fact that people are sort of like bringing some glamour back to writing as a profession and and creating literary worlds which to some extent feel like they've they no longer exist Mm. I guess to some people that like what what would you say to people who feel like perhaps that like if anything enhances the sort of elitism that surrounds writing and literature do you find it like do you find it that or I think that oh it's so hard because I feel like the internet can ruin a lot of things for people (laughs) and like Instagram and trends you know yeah so part of me is like oh it does kind of maybe dampen the impact of doing something like posting an extract from a book on Instagram it's like oh is Mm. this actually into it or do they just realize that that's a trend these days yeah um and it's also hard from my point of view because, like you said earlier, like professionalizing a passion is something that does kind of lessen your enjoyment around it. Yeah. I'd say I'm just trying to think of my friends. And I mean, I'm such a pusher with books on my friends. I'm always like, really? Well, maybe instead of making you answer to the whole of <laughs> like that, that particular literary world. I mean, I'm, e- I'm equally like fascinated by it, intrigued by it, sort of want to engage with it. And then also a bit, I guess, turned off by it because it feels a little bit, um, 
I don't know, maybe a little bit contrived or posed. I'm not actually familiar yeah. with with this particular literary scene you're talking about, so I'm not discussing yeah. that in particular. But I do feel like there's a little bit with the sort of stylization of books and reading. There's a bit of a danger that it does become, yeah, a little bit elitist and a little bit exclusive. And particularly yeah. in New York, I feel like it's so easy for things to become like that, um, like a, just an extra cool girls club where like you know <laughs> uh, do you obviously like I guess with worms you're trying to like foster community through you know just through the through the magazine itself I think that I was reading an interesting um have you are you familiar with this book published by a there's like a Philadelphia based bookshop called I don't know how they pronounce it but it's spelled like Ulysses but I don't think it's pronounced like that anyway they made a book called publishing as practice where they sort of wrote a lot about you know they use different case studies and um wrote a lot about the idea of like how publishing functions and art practice kind of stuff we've been talking about is that the one and sims? martin sims exactly yeah. yeah and there's like a great quote from her you know she's a friend of mine and like such a brilliant person but this quote has like been burned in my brain since i read it which she was like i feel i you know i see publishing as a way of making ideas public like you make the ideas public and then you make publics around the ideas yeah and like I just that just like you know in the way that brilliant people always do sort of just so crystallized for me what publishing is about what books are about like beyond the actual ideas themselves it's like creating a space either through the book or the magazine itself or then realizing that space in actual physical space to bring people together around certain ideas like do you do you feel like that's something you're trying to achieve with worms? And if so, like what kind of ideas do you think you're trying to create publics around? Yeah, one hundred percent. That's definitely something that I'm trying to do. I mean, um, I guess I mean in terms of the actual ideas that I'm trying to create publics around, like it's more it's more kind of the writers that I'm trying to create publics around because I feel yeah. you know I think of myself as a kind of vessel for these people to like like a catalyst for them to kind of like travel through so that they can you know reach their audiences and have the effect that they deserve Um, I think for me just going back to what you were saying about it being these communities maybe seeming a bit contrived like not being not specifically any that I've mentioned or referenced but I think that for me it's really important like on Instagram, it's really clear to me that a kind of very polished book stack with some neat reviews of books is going to get like a larger audience and more attraction and sell more magazines. But it's important to me to actually just be like, oh no, actually I've just read this and it's good and I'm going to take a picture of it and post it right now before yeah. thinking of it because I think that it's important to keep that personal voice and to make it completely not contrived and not make every post like super you know make sure that it looks perfect in the grid or anything like that and I think that Mm. because I've come from such a personal point of view with it and because I do see worms as like an extension of myself it's really important for me to keep that voice and keep that personability with it and to not do kind of yeah controlled with that I suppose and I think in terms of creating publics around um, certain ideas, that's another thing that is just coming, it comes very naturally. It's like, you know, I met Tilly. I wanted to publish her book because I thought her book was great. I never, I didn't set out to be like, yeah, I want to create more of a conversation around sex work. It was more just like, 
she's great. Her book's great. It needs a greater audience. It needs to be published in the UK. I'm going to do it. Can you tell us a little bit about that book? So this is the, your first sort of the first book you've published as a sort of imprint of the magazine, the magazine or the, the yeah. Worms as a bigger project. Yeah. So that came out yesterday. Thank you. Um, I think that it was always a natural progression for me to go from publishing the magazine to publishing books by the contributors to the magazine and um, the people that we were interviewing in the magazine. And Tilly, I met probably like two years ago now, three years ago maybe. Um, And she is just the most kind of captivating, intelligent person ever and she told me that she was writing this book and she wrote the book and published it in Australia and then over the years we've formed a relationship just through worms and we've become quite good friends and um at Christmas I was just with her and we were just having coffee and she was like oh do you know anyone in the UK that could publish my book or do you know anyone that you know might be able to introduce me to someone in the UK that could publish it and I was just like, well, to be honest, like I've been looking to publish books and yours would be the perfect one to start out with. And it kind of encompasses everything that I believe with Worms, which is writing something that's like intelligent, but also accessible. Anyone can pick it up, but also like completely explicit and just doesn't hold back on anything. It's very honest. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just came back in February and like I said earlier I just had some meetings with some people in publishing and read this like incredibly scary professional book of publishing laws and wrote up a contract sent it to Tilly's agent designed the cover got the files and then Tilly's been over here um and she's actually been staying with me and I was like cool yeah let's let's launch it and so yeah. and it's, it's really funny she did this little Um, speech at the beginning she did a reading the other night at the ICA and she did this little speech at the beginning and she was like we've just done it in the most Australian way possible which was we didn't have a single phone call we just kind of I messaged and I was like what do you think about this cover she was like yeah cool and she was like I'm just like changing some spelling mistakes I'll just send over the copy and then just like send it over and then I was like cool yeah the books with the printers like do you want to do a launch just all over text and she was like yeah great I'm gonna be with you from like this date to this date I was like, cool, it's my birthday that day. Let's do it then. And then we just... Yeah. But I, to me, that, like, again, I've on a smaller scale self-published, and, like, that is the beauty of publishing. Yeah. Because, you know, obviously you need a bit of money up front to publish a few copies of a book. But, like, if you're doing a small print run, it's not insane, you know, like, compared to what it costs to make a film or to yeah. produce a clothing line. And really, like, once you've got the text and, like, a cover... yeah. You're kind of done. <laughs> Literally. And especially after doing the magazine for all these years, I was like, God, that was so easy and just so nice. Just yeah. One or two people, including her agent to deal with, just lovely Australians, just so easygoing and just just really just Tilly has been amazing because she's just been so grateful as well. She's just, oh, she's just great. And she just did the most amazing reading. and It was just such a nice, it couldn't have had a more perfect birthday. And then they're turning to me being like, you realise now you have to publish a book on every birthday forever now. And I was like, great. <laughs> I don't know about that. That's a lot of pressure. 
every book you publish has to be on your birthday now. It's, like, it's quite a nice, uh, it's quite a nice schedule to adhere to. But yeah. you know, also like you don't love everything you read. No, like, you know there are obviously greater complications that can arise when yeah. trying to to publish. But I'm glad that you had a seamless first experience. No, I've got some really exciting ones in the pipeline as well at the moment. So that's great. Really and I'm glad that you've like you know again. I think I was a little bit late to become aware of um, the the practice of of publishing when I was living in New York, which is in many ways like a complete epicenter for it, really, you know, with printed matter and so many independent bookstores and stuff like that. So it's nice to, to come to London and like, you know, see you trying to foster that kind of community and, and raise awareness of, or raise the profile of like under published writers again, especially because, in the UK, I just feel like there aren't enough outlets anymore. Yeah. And certainly, you know, not ones like, yeah, there's just, the, the community feels a bit shrunken to me, but perhaps that's just my, yeah, me being in my own wormhole. <laughs> no, we're strengthening it. We're building it. We're building it. Yeah, I hope so. And obviously you work at Don Non, which is a great independent bookstore. If people yeah. aren't familiar with it on, um, oh my God, why is it Broadway Market? <laughs> market. I was like, oh my god, I'm brain dead. Yeah. market, yeah. Fab, fab selection of books over there. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for making the time to speak to me, Clem. I really appreciate it. It was interesting to chat, but like, I feel like that was a bit of a nerdy convo. But I personally enjoyed it. <laughs> the queen of nerd. I'm like, and someone's going, people can listen to it and be like, wow, they're really in their own little yeah. world over there. <laughs> but you know, it's a world that I think. It, in a way I wish I'd been more aware of earlier because if you want to make a book there's really nothing to stop you and you know and it really I think because it is a media that has been gay kept for so long Mm. you know I'm sure you're the same but when I self-published work literally using any old printers that I found on you know online people would email me like how the hell did you make a book I'm like literally you just google printers you get a graphic designer to lay it out for you or you can do it yourself you know to do that and you just send it off yeah no you can do anything on the internet these days (laughs) yeah it's crazy so I feel like it's important that people know that if that's a a a form of artistic expression that appeals to you like do it it. yeah Yeah, I'll help you (laughs) yeah (laughs) more that um yeah thank you again for making time i hope you have a nice rest of your birthday weekend further celebrations to come i hope yes and yeah i need to get i actually didn't manage to get a copy of the latest issue what's the theme of it just quickly while i still have you on the line it is it's kind of it's kind of vomit (laughs) (laughs) of course yeah (laughs) vomit well (laughs) <laughs> I will encourage um, listeners to go and pick up a copy of um, Worms magazine to find out how that plays out in text. Yeah, thank you so <laughs> um, much, Phoebe. Thank you for Thank having- you. Yeah, my pleasure. Have a great weekend. Me Take too. care. Bye. Bye.